is Matt Dawson, and welcome to Ortho Science Bites. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Fernando Chavez for our discussion about COVID-19 and the pandemic. Hello, Dr. Chavez. Thank you for joining us today. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Matt. Hi, everyone. For those of you who do not know, I serve as the Global Head of Medical Clinical and Scientific Affairs for Orthoclinical Diagnostics. I have more than 20 years of experience in the diagnostics industry, and I'm a board-certified anatomical and clinical pathologist with further certification in hematopathology. Really glad to be here today. Glad to be here with you as well. So let's move on to today's topic. Um, in this edition of OrthoScience Bites, as I said, we're going to be discussing antibodies in the COVID-19 pandemic. Specifically, what do they really mean as the world yearns for a sort of return to normal life? And to open up this topic, Dr. Chavez, do antibodies really prove immunity against COVID-19? Well, while data to fully establish this immunity as a scientifically documented fact has not yet been made available, there's a lot of research about this novel virus that is ongoing. And there are many reasons and a lot of already existing indirect evidence pointing in this direction meaning that antibodies do provide immunity. Uh, examples include, for example, the fact that um, this long-term immunity is the most commonly observed response in the vast majority of human viral infections, including, for example, hepatitis, polio, measles, mumps, rubella, rotaviruses, human papilloma virus, uh, you name it. And even some previous coronaviruses, which share a lot of generic material with uh, sars coronavirus 2 with this current coronavirus, including, for example, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome and the SARS coronavirus, which caused the 2003 pandemic. And of note, uh, this uh, previous coronaviruses did show, and, and they do show quite a lot of generic material with, this, with the current coronavirus, they did show uh, a peak of immunity a few about four months after infection, and they have been that immunity has been documented to last at least a couple of years after the initial infection. So the the precedence there is pretty promising, but what do initial reports say about this virus specifically in either papers or studies? Well, early reports during the current COVID nineteen pandemic have shown clinical improvement in patients who had severe COVID-19 and who received convalescent plasma, which is additional indication that the antibodies produced by individuals who have recovered from this, this infection most likely did have uh, you know, antibodies with a viral neutralization effect, which was then providing clinical benefit for the patients receiving the convalescent plasma. There were also small initial animal studies uh, performed as part of the vaccine development efforts for this virus, which showed that a single dose of an investigational vaccine protected six monkeys uh, from developing pneumonia caused by this virus. These were animals who received uh, an investigational vaccine 28 days before being infected with SARS-CoV-2. And they were compared with three control animals which did not receive the vaccine. And the vaccinated monkeys showed no signs of virus re replication in the lungs. They had significantly lower levels of respiratory disease and no lung damage compared to the control animals. So while these results were done in an animal model and a small sample set, they do provide an initial indication that antibodies generated after the vaccine inoculation did provide some real-life protection when these animals were were uh, subsequently exposed to the virus. Well, that, that is very good news for uh, you know the protection and herd immunity and, and people's safety. Are there any other reports that you've seen that might add more information? 
Yes, there is an in vitro study that showed that serum, serum is part of the blood, so serum from a convalescent patient effectively prevented the viral entry into the study cell lines. So basically, you have an in vitro confirmation of the neutralizing efficacy of the antibodies that were triggered by this virus, SARS-CoV-2. There was also an in vitro neutralization study which showed that antibodies produced by the study individuals who were inoculated with a vaccine candidate from Moderna Therapeutics were also effective against the live virus SARS-CoV-2. And finally, there was another in vitro neutralization study which demonstrated that a therapeutic antibody candidate from Sorrento Therapeutics provided 100% inhibition of this virus infection of healthy cells after four days of incubation. And this antibody showed a specific binding to the S1 subunit of the spike protein, which is the part that binds to the human receptor. So this study really illustrates that there is an efficient physiological mechanism for the antibodies to provide immunity against the infection by blocking the interaction of the S1 protein with the human receptor. That's great. So Dr. Chavez, what else can you add in terms of the role of serologic testing then as it relates to the antibodies? Well, that's a very relevant question, as we consider the possible roles to be played by serological testing in critical decisions we all have to make in the near future. And that can be from a public health policy-making perspective, but also for us as individuals adjusting to life under the constant threat of this virus and waiting for a vaccine to be made available for us. There are ongoing studies being conducted to confirm the protective value of antibodies, as well as to establish the duration of immunity provided and whether the levels of antibody in the blood will impact this potential immunity. Another thing I'd like to touch on is that in April of 2020, there were some reports coming out of South Korea raising questions among several patients who had previously recovered from COVID-19 and who had once again tested positive for the virus using molecular assays. So there was a global fear at the time that those were cases of reinfection, which would be indicating an absence of long-term protection from the antibodies produced during the initial infection. There were weeks of investigation and contact tracing for these supposedly repeat positive individuals, and the Korean Center for Disease Control confirmed that these positive tests were in fact due to lingering particles of the virus. So there was no reinfection or transmission of the virus documented in those individuals. Well, that's fascinating. Really, and thank you for sharing the, the detail of that information. I remember hearing about that at the time as well. Um, so, you know, let's move on to another important question. Are serologic tests available today to reliable enough to help guide critical decisions about patient care and, and patient safety? Well, yes, but not all of them. In the early stages of the pandemic and in response to the public calamity that uh, COVID-19 was causing, regulatory agencies worldwide, including the US FDA, applied emergency protocols, which are designed to facilitate rapid market access for products needed to respond to such a crisis, including serological tests for, for the coronavirus too. As a result, there was a multitude of tests which became commercially available, and not all of them have gone through a careful validation process. Therefore, the diagnostic performance of the serological tests that are available today, you know, measured by their diagnostic sensitivity and specificity, varies significantly among the various options available. It is critical that all stakeholders who rely on serological testing for critical decision-making in this difficult time must absolutely be carefully educated about the exact performance of any serological assay they are planning to use. Can you expand on that? 
Sure. So serological assays can vary in many dimensions, all of which can have a direct implication on the clinical utility of the test you're trying to use. First of all, you have to understand the type of antibody you're measuring or detecting with your test. So am I detecting an IgG antibody, an IgM antibody, or an IgA antibody, or a combination of various of those? As I said before, you need to also be very careful monitoring the performance of the test that you're trying to use in terms of the sensitivity and specificity. And finally, you also need to take in consideration the viral protein which is targeted by the antibody you are measuring. There are two options here. You can detect an antibody against the spike protein, uh, or you can detect an antibody against the nucleoclepsid protein of the virus. And this is critical because the antibodies which do provide direct neutralization of the virus, of the virus are the antibodies against the spike protein, not against the nucleoclepsid uh, protein. Again, the tests that measure IgM or IgA, uh, either alone or in combination with other antibodies, are ideal to be used in the very early stages of infection because IgM, IgA are the first antibodies to appear in the blood when a patient is exposed to, to the coronavirus. Actually, some studies have shown that the IgA antibodies can be detected in patient samples as early as two days after the onset of symptoms, followed by IgM antibodies which have a median time of seroconversion of about five days. So all of this information is critical for uh, people who are potentially considering use of uh, antibodies in the early stages of infection to recognize a, a, an early immune response. And in this situation, uh, the, a test which includes IgA detection in the formulation are the ones that are better positioned to offer the highest rate of true positives uh, in the really uh, recently infected patients. And when you're looking for an, an assay, for a serological test, to use early on after infection, you, you really uh, want to focus primarily on the sensitivity of the test, which is you can uh, obtain this information from the instructions for use or any other public, uh, published publication uh, discussing that specific test. And you need to also consider not only uh, how good the sensitivity is, but how quickly that sensitivity was very good. So, for example, if you have a test that is only going to be giving you 60% sensitivity in the first 14 days after infection, uh, that is typically what you observe with IgG antibodies, then that's not going to be useful for you to deploy the test in the early stages of, of the pandemic. So it's really not a surprise that the antibodies that are the antibody assays that are best positioned to be used early in the infection are the total antibody tests because they detect IgA, IgM on top of IgG, and it really reinforces how critical IgA detection is if you're using an antibody assay early uh, in the post-infectious period. So how is sensitivity critical for these assays? So sensitivity is critical if you're using an assay in, a, you know, in recently infected individuals because what you want to do is you want to make sure that you do not release individuals in the community who are still spreading the virus, right? So what you need is to quickly note is that the sensitivity levels must be compared taking in consideration how many days after symptom onset the samples in the sensitivity study were taken. Because you're talking about an acute infection here, and the timing of zero conversion can really vary significantly among individuals. 
So even if you find an assay that shows 100% sensitivity in its validation study, this assay would have very limited clinical use in identifying immune response in early COVID-19 individuals if this performance was validated with samples obtained too late in the disease progression, for example, 14 or 21 days after symptom onset. So talking about the specificity, how does this impact detection of recent or prior infections? Let's start by saying that conversely, tests which measure IgG, and it could be either IgG alone or in combination with other antibodies, they can be used to identify individuals who have an adaptive immune response to SARS-CoV-2, which indicate a recent or a prior infection. And that's because IgG antibodies are the ones which remain in circulation for longer periods of time, and they most likely convey protection against reinfection, as we have discussed before. So when you're considering a test to assess you know, more of a long-term immune response, and, and based on this intended use, the potential users of a test need to, con to consider primarily the specificity of the test, which is also, again, offered in the instructions for use, because the critical mistake which you're trying to avoid here is having a false positive result, which will lead to an assumption of a potential protection when that individual or the plasma from that individual in reality does not offer such protection. So that's when specificity is so critical. Unfortunately, you know, this specificity, this critical marker of test performance also varies significantly among the different types of antibody assays available in the market today, with some assays having specificity levels as low as 98% and others pretty much having 100% specificity. Now, it's critical to note that, you know, this difference of 98% to 100%, it may appear to be a very small difference, but it actually pre represents a major difference in the clinical value of this test in real life. Because what happens is that the, there is a low prevalence in the population of individuals who have actually already been exposed to the virus in the general population. So let's imagine, for example, that you are in a country that has been hit by the pandemic, such as Spain. And some studies there have shown that only 5% of the population actually have antibodies. So it's reasonable to uh, expect that in the current you know, situation around the globe, we probably have about 2% of the population only who actually do have uh, exposure to this virus and they have antibodies. So now imagine if you have... Um, if you test 100 people in the general population and 2% of them do have antibodies, you're going to end up with two positive tests. But if you have used an antibody assay, which has 98% specificity only, that means that you're going to be getting two false positive results. So you're going to end up with four positive results in your study or in your, in your uh, test population. And out of these four positive results, two of them are false positives, are incorrect. So two out of four positive results you report are incorrect results. Um, this is really, you know, a major concern, and it can really impact the clinical value of the information you're providing to patients. So this is why when it comes to specificity, uh, you need to be really as close to 100% as possible. You know, decimal changes do matter for this critical marker of test performance. That is really fascinating and I think really relevant as we're all moving further into this pandemic. Uh, so before our close, what other final thoughts or key messages would you want to share with our listeners? Well, 
going back to the fundamental question at stake when it comes to the main value of serological testing in the fight against COVID-19, the fundamental question is, uh, do antibodies really provide an immunity against the disease? And therefore, it's critical that potential users of serological assays be aware that the viral epitopes targeted by the antibodies they will be detecting, the, the choice of these viral epitopes have a direct implication on this key question. So am I detecting an antibody against the spike protein of the virus, which is the protein that facilitates viral entry into the human cells? So this entry depends on the S protein binding to the human receptor, the ACE2 uh, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor, and allowing the introduction of viral material into the human cell. So the antibodies, which are truly relevant to establish whether a person is going to have any potential protection from the virus or not, are the antibodies against the S protein. And some of the currently available serological tests uh, in the market today detect antibodies against other viral epitopes, such as the nucleocapizid or the N antigen. And again, you know, even if the performance of some other assays, uh, they might have good sensitivity, good specificity, the fact that they are not detecting the antibodies against the S protein, this could mean that this is not, you're not detecting the antibodies, which are directly blocking uh, the viral activity, and that is going to raise additional questions on whether these assays are truly providing, um, you know, value in terms of potential immunity against COVID-19. So in summary, really, serological tests are a critical part of the fight against COVID-19, and they can really help determine the global efforts that we're going to be taking to mitigate the social and economic consequences of this pandemic. One of the most critical potential uses of these, uh, of these assays is to establish whether an individual has been previously exposed to SARS-CoV-2, and, and if so, it, this will likely indicate a potential immunity from contracting the disease again and spreading the virus back into the community. And while a categorical scientific confirmation that these antibodies detected by serological assays do provide immunity, so this scientific confirmation is still pending, there are very strong reasons and already existing indirect evidence, evidence pointing exactly in this direction. And the performance and the clinical intended uses of various commercially available antibody assays, they vary greatly. And, and there are some assays, only some assays will offer the reliability that you need to guide these critical decisions, both for society and for individuals, as we uh, continue to face this pandemic and we make various hard decisions in the near future. Thank you so much. And, and that really brings us to the end of our podcast. So. As you can see, stakeholders responsible for the selection of serological tests need to carefully educate themselves in the performance and other characteristics of the various options available to them. So Dr. Chavez, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us and sharing your expertise on this subject. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed the antibodies and role of the COVID-19 pandemic discussion. Uh, make sure to review the section within the podcast description for reading materials suggested in our reference list. Um, so now, again, based on our podcast, I leave you with the orthopop quiz of the day. The antibodies which are truly relevant to establish whether a person is protected from SARS-CoV-2 infection are those against what? 
So if you don't know, go back and check. So again, thank you for listening today. Please subscribe to the Ortho Science Bites, our monthly podcast, where we will be discussing more complex questions we face every day in our labs. Brought to you by Orthoclinical Diagnostics, pioneering advances in diagnostics for 75 years, because every test is a life. Take care and stay safe.